You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Daniel Saure about everything you need to know about matching adjusted indirect comparisons. <music> If you like the more technical, the more innovative episodes in this podcast, then this episode is exactly the right one for you. We talk about all kind of the technical details of doing a matching-adjusted indirect comparison. A matching-adjusted indirect comparison is a really, really nice and elegant way to better adjust for the different biases that you can introduce by doing an indirect comparison and therefore a very, very useful method to know for comparing treatments when you don't have head-to-head -head data available. So this is a really, really helpful uh, episode because it can help you in designing head-to-head -head studies in better understanding the comparative landscape. It can help you in better understanding how your product or your new compound lines up against key competitors. And it can help you to better inform decisions for payers, physicians, and patients. And probably in the future, I would guess that that also becomes much more a topic for discussions, for example, with regulators. So stay tuned for this really, really nice episode. If you love the podcast, then join the LinkedIn group and follow me on LinkedIn because I'm regularly posting lots of additional content there. And please tell your colleagues about this podcast. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library with lots of lots of free content there, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. It's really, really cost-effective It's just £20 for non-high-income countries and just £95 for high-income countries, which currently is approximately more or less the same in dollar or in euro. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. another episode of the Effective Statistician and today I'm talking with friend and former colleague Daniel. Hi, how are you doing? Hi Alexander, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. It's uh, We are still in lockdown as we're recording yeah. this and, and things are opening up and it's, um, yeah, it's a wonderful spring evening as we are recording mm -hmm. this and so great to talk Today, not so much about the weather, but about indirect comparisons and, and what we can do about it to, to make them more efficient, more um, better, rather than just the, the usual techniques. But, but before we go into that, 
Daniel, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, and uh, first of all, so thank you very much for invitation. So I'm very much looking forward to this. So it's it's my first uh, first one to tonight. So so I'm really looking forward. Um, and yeah, so so my name is, is Daniel. And yeah, I'm I'm based in Germany. And after finishing school, so I started to study uh, mathematics um, with um, international economics. So I did a bachelor and master um, here in uh, in the middle of Germany, basically in in Mainz. And when I finished this, and as I already focused on stochastic in my study, so I, I wanted to continue this and, and maybe work a little bit more in, in, in real life. And I then decided to uh, join the Institute of Medical Biometry and Informatics in Heidelberg, also Germany. So and, and here I yeah, really started to work as a biometrician. So I was involved in, yeah, or planning, conduct, and analysis of yeah, phase one, two, three trials. This was really great experience. And and also I was part of the systematic review and meta-analysis working group. So so here I got first insights into that topic, and I also did my PhD uh, on this. So so in detail, I in this thesis, I I wondered okay how to early de detect safety signals during drug development process. So because, um, you know, so when you do s small trials, phase one, two, three, maybe with maybe up to 500 patients, you, you're most often not likely to detect any side effects, which maybe occur in one of 10,000 patients. So therefore, the idea was, okay, how, wh wh what can you do about this? And, and one application, application is um, so-called sequential meta-analysis. So this is, um, you basically, you, you apply adaptive designs that we all know from clinical trials to, to meta-analysis. Yeah. So you update your meta-analysis after a new study is there. And in order to, to control type one error and so on, you then apply some, some known, known formats. And I tried to investigate if, is this possible? And if yes, how is the performance and how to implement this in practice? Yeah. And with this, um, As I said, I was only involved in, in early phase, um, but with this, I also um, got involved into late phase development. And therefore, my aim was, okay, maybe to work more practical in after phase three, so to say. And then I had the opportun opportunity to, um, to join Lily, um, I think around four years ago, nearly. And yeah, actually, I joined your group. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I started to work in dermat dermatology, basically. So this is yeah really to to support the products um, after regulatory approval, so to say. Um, and yeah, I'm still doing this today. Uh, and today I'm yeah the statistical lead for for all dermatology in um, in a specific region for for Eli Lilly. Yeah, this is maybe in a nutshell <laughs> where I'm yep. coming from. Yeah. And, and during this, this time, we worked a lot together on, on all kinds of the indirect comparisons um, because there has been a lot of advances in new biologics entering the market in, in dermatology and rheumatology. And so, of course, you can't run head-to-head -head comparisons against all these different drugs, mm -hmm. and, and especially early in development, you are very interested in understanding what are the indirect uh, comparisons in terms of the uh, efficacy of these uh, different drugs. And that was a question that came, of course, from um, treating physicians as well as those who write um, 
treatment guidelines or also um, HDA bodies. And um, there's, of course, the, the approach to do network meta-analysis where you go into all the available evidence, but, but sometimes it's actually much better to look into one-to-one um, -one comparison. So, so just compare one treatment versus the other. What, what were your kind of experiences when this type of one-to-one -one approach is actually better than, than using network meta-analysis? Yeah, that, that's a good question, actually. I think um, um, there's one common approach, with, which is the so-called Bucher uh, approach. And I, I think you already had this in some previous uh, episodes. So this is sort of say maybe a special case of a classic network meta-analysis when you only have maybe two treatments uh, with uh, one common comparator. So and in this case, it's clear. So either you perform NMA or or a Bucher approach, it's basically the same. But uh, so also in the case you you have a wider network with, with maybe, I don't know, five or six treatments. So there might still be some further interest in, in two or three treatments of this because, for example, the treatments are uh, in the same treatment class or in the same mode of action. And, um, and with this, you often get a lot of questions um, that you did not answer um, in the first NMA because they are so specific and maybe you, you do not have all the data for all comparators so, so that you can run specific analysis in the NMA, but then you can maybe stick down to this uh, smaller network and um, yeah try to answer specific and more detailed questions. So in the case you have the data for one treatment on, on the left-hand side, so to say, and then for the other treatment on right-hand side. And I think in this case, basically, then it's it's often favorable to, to run uh, this maybe Bucher approach, or in the case you even have um, individual patient-level data, then you can also run uh, this so-called matching adjusted in their comparison. And the advantage of this approach is then really that you can, uh, before you run the indirect comparison, you can um, balance the studies. So for example, you have your own trial comparing yeah, A versus treatment C, and then you have another trial uh, comparing B versus C. So then you obviously can build up this network and uh, compute this indirect evidence of A versus C. But if you are A versus, A, versus A, B. A versus B, exactly. C, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and in the case, so when the BC trial, so we most often call this uh, the aggregated data or the data that we get from literature. Um, if, for example, there you have a mean age of, I don't know, 40, and in your own trial you have a mean age of 50, and you think that the age um, has an effect or, or influence the treatment effect, actually, then this might be an unfair comparison. And then you can balance your studies. And I think we will talk about this later on. And, uh, and then run this Bucher approach later on. And I think in this case, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, favorable to, to apply this method. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's also, you know, one of the principles that, that I go often with is if you can do it more simple, then mm -hmm. it's, it's probably good to do it more mm -hmm. simple. Mm -hmm. And instead of, if you're just interested in comparing A to B, mm -hmm. uh, then you don't need to look into all these mm -hmm. other parts of the network so much mm -hmm. because that will hardly contribute very much to your conclusion about A to B. 
And the other point is you can look into maybe much more specific studies. So let's yeah. say you have most of your studies are maybe that you would have in the network meta-analysis are just long, uh, short-term studies. And maybe you, for the specific case, you have a couple of uh, similar long-term uh, studies. And of course, yeah. you know, yeah. if you have just a couple of studies to look into, you can investigate it much more deeply and have a much more kind of much more clarity of what actually goes into the study than mm -hmm. if you combine dozens and dozens or maybe hundreds of studies mm -hmm. into one big network meta-analysis where kind of the, the overview of what gets goes into the analysis is uh, rather easily lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a valid point, I think. And uh, what also plays into this is uh, that for this Bucher or, or Make approach, you usually have less requirements as compared to NMA. So so this means it's... Um, so in the case you have maybe 100 trials and they are maybe not that similar, then you might run into problems when you run the, the model in the NMA. And this is less likely uh, in the smaller network, obviously. And then you have the chance then if you only focus on, on two treatments, then you maybe can even include more studies again that you might have excluded previously in the NMA. Yeah. So, so sometimes uh, make and, and NMA are also addressing different research questions, so to say, or different estimates. Yeah. So this is maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, as we are now going into the more the comparisons of, of the Bucher approach, the classical approach, and the uh, matching adjusted indirect comparison or, or Mike approach, so to mm -hmm. say, where do you see the advantages and disadvantages of one versus the other? So you're meaning uh, make versus Bucher or make versus yeah. NMA? Make versus Bucher. Okay. So this depends on the situations. So, so basically with the classic Bucher approach, so this only relies on aggregated data. So you, there is no need to have any individual patient level data. So everyone who has maybe two publications at hand, so one from study A, comparing A versus C, and then the publication of study uh, comparing B versus C, then you can just take the numbers and compute your, your Bucher approach. Yeah. So this is, I, I think quite easy to, to implement. Um, however, um, the Bucher approach might be biased in the case your AC trial is not similar as compared to the BC trial. For example, in, in exclusion criteria are maybe not entirely the same. And one other reason obviously is if when you look to the baseline characteristics. So if they are different, or maybe if there are some important baseline characteristics, for example, age, and there's a huge difference, then as I said previously, um, the Bucher approach might be an unfair comparison. And um, here is then the advantage um, of the make approach. So as I said here, you really can um, take your individual patient level data and define specific weights to each patient so that your mean age, for example, of your own trial is then the same as you have found um, in the literature. So basically for these kind of cases, or for, for this case, so to say, um, the make might be favorable over, over Bucher. However, as, as usually this goes hand in hand with some costs and this is uh, in terms of um, information. So as I said, if you have the case of of maybe 
some imbalance across the baseline characteristics, then you, as I said, the, the Buch approach will be biased, which means that uh, actually your effect is is not the same. Das sage ich jetzt nochmal. So in the case um, that you have difference across your baseline characteristics, for example, in age, you have a mean age of 40 versus a mean age of 50, your estimated treatment effect with the Bucher might be biased and wrong. Yeah, And here, with a application of make, when you balance your patients and balance the mean age of your study to the uh, published one, then maybe your treatment effect is closer to the real one, but you have a lot of information. And this is called, in this case, um, the effective sample size. So basically, this means you we win a better treatment effect, but we lose precision, so to say. So we trade basically less bias for yep. more variability or more, exactly or more, less imprecision, yeah, uh, less precision, yeah, 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 yeah. E exactly. And um, and yeah, so coming back to the advantages and disadvantages of of both. So I think one requirement you you need for for make is that you have individual patient level data at least for one trial. So this yeah. this is what you really need. If you don't have this, you you cannot um, conduct it. Yeah. So this is the basic requirement. So, but if you have this at hand, then um, it really depends. Um, if you um, if you think that you um, have some imbalances across your studies, and in this case, yeah, then obviously I think Mike should should be conducted. But what what we all, always do, or what I think it is um, recommended anyway, uh, to perform both analysis to see actual what is the impact of the weighting to the actual result as compared to the yeah unweighted un unweighted um, comparison. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would uh, completely agree with that. Uh, The, the Bucher is kind of, it's very simple uh, to do anyway and, and therefore yep. um, should, should always be mm. included. In terms of acceptance from payers for that, mm -hmm. so especially the, uh, the English compare, the NICE is really interested in that. Mm -hmm. and has, has, they have worked quite a lot on, on that and mm -hmm. have recently published a, a technical document which mm -hmm. uh, you will find in the show notes. And it also nicely includes some example R code, so, mm -hmm. so, so which is really good uh, for you to reproduce um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the example case there and then um, better understand how that works and how you can actually implement the method. Mm -hmm. In terms of the technical document, what are your kind of key takeaways from this document? So, um, so this, this is really a nice document. Um, and it, it, it's called Methods for Population Adjusted Indirect Comparisons in Submissions to NICE. The main key takeaway really is that, um, the application of make is recommended in specific circumstances. And this is really, and I think we, we touched this before, um, in the presence of so-called treatment effect modifier. So, so these are characteristics or baseline characteristics where you think those might have an impact on the actual treatment effect. And if you have an imbalance across those treatment effect modifiers across your trials, in this cases, the Bucher approach might be biased and then really the make approach is recommended. So, so, so it, both conditions need to apply. It needs to be a treatment effect modifier. 
and there needs mm -hmm. to be an imbalance between the yep. uh, studies so on the if you think about the indirect comparison on the ac study it needs to be different than on the bc study exactly I th and i think especially the latter point is is easy to check you can just usually you, you just look to table one of of the publications and, and and compare the baseline characteristics but regarding the first point so the definition of a treatment effect modifier i think to my knowledge there is no gold standard at the moment and this is really i think one one point of criticism usually when you apply make because you really need to 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 prove so to say that a specific characteristics is a treatment effect modifier and the question is how to do this it basically yeah. you need to have some kind of baseline versus treatment interaction there in yeah. in some some model or in the model that you're using yeah. mm -hmm. exactly so this is what i was about to say so i think one point is really that you look to it from a statistical point of view that you really go into your data and you 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 apply some a specific model so depend depending on your data and check so which characteristics have a have an interaction really but, but of course how big does the interaction yeah. need to be yeah, is yeah. It, is it, does it need to be kind of statistically significant mm -hmm. or does it you know is you know some some yeah whatsoever relevant difference there you know especially if you for example have uh, smaller uh so, so very imbalanced subgroups so let's say you have um you look into gender and you have 80% of male versus 20% of female. Then, of course, you know, just showing a statistically significant uh, interaction becomes much harder than if you have a 50-50 mm -hmm. uh, split. That, of course, is, you know, it, it's a nice guidance, but it's mm -hmm. not sort of a black and white guidance, really. Yeah. And it, and the same is also for what is difference between studies. Yeah, is it you yeah. know if if I look into the you know in one study you have eighty to twenty percent and the other you have seventy five to twenty five percent mm -hmm. ratio. Is mm -hmm. that already difference mm -hmm. or yeah? So so mm -hmm. I think, but but both need to need to apply. So, yeah. so um, and of course the bigger the one of these is the bigger the overall effect becomes so, so mm -hmm. both, both basically multiply mm -hmm. with each other yeah yeah exactly and 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 even if you just say maybe in your model um the p-value needs to be less than 10 percent, for example if this is your definition from a statistical point of view then you, you might end up that one characteristic is maybe a treatment effect modifier at week eight but if you run the same model at week 12 for example then maybe it's not a treatment effect modifier anymore. So this is another problem then. And then the question is, so in the case here, you apply this make to several time points, what, what is then your set of, of baseline characteristics that you match for? Yeah, so this is another question. But maybe apart from this statistic consideration of treatment effect modifier, I think one can maybe even go one step um, beyond and, and already define these characteristics at study planning phase. So maybe that you already put into your protocol of your phase three trial, okay, these characteristics might play an important role in this disease. And then you have maybe some, even some further guidance from medical point of view. So yeah. what, what could be um, a treatment effect modifier? Yeah? And I think obviously you can also refer to, to other publications um, 
and, and when we go back to the specific case of nice submissions, so there might be already some other submissions and then you can maybe have a look, okay, which characteristics have been applied in this uh, document and then you can maybe, yeah, take take this guidance as well. But I think in general, it's a, it's a difficult question how to define a so-called treatment effect modifier. Yeah, and as we are talking about this treatment effect modifier, of course, we have, you know, two treatment preferences. Yeah, we have A versus C and B versus C. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be only a treatment effect modifier for one of them. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be, you know, uh, for both of them, for, for mm -hmm. one of them is, is, is sufficient to have an impact. Um, okay, so with that, we already talked a lot about which baseline variables to, to include. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is a really, really important one. And sometimes also, you know, practical reasons play a role. So, so if you have data for one, but not for, from the literature study, or you have it from the literature study, but you haven't captured in your own study, well, then it's difficult to include and to justify yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is one major limitation um, because obviously when you are on the side that you have individual patient level data or you have uh, yeah data from a phase three trial, then you usually have a lot of data and a lot of characteristics to in include, but the limitation is given from the literature, basically. Yeah. And when you then look to it, then you maybe you find five or six characteristics and then you can only adjust for those, obviously. Yeah. And, and also, yeah, if you have defined some treatment effect modifier beforehand and you do not find them in the publication, then you cannot adjust for this. Yeah. And, and then your um, comparison might still be biased. Yeah. So this is then one limitation that, that still is, is there. And this brings me just to another point that I forgot previously when you talked uh, or when you asked for advantages and disadvantages of make. Um, so obviously when when you apply this make approach and you reweight your patients um, so that you balance for the um, differences across baseline characteristics, you might even introduce further bias. So the, okay. the, the point here is unmeasured confounding, yeah, because there might be still some other char characteristics that you did not collect. Uh, so neither in, in, um, in your trial uh, nor in the, the published one. And then there might be some unseen unbalance in in those yeah so this is also uh, one one big limitation of this approach with which um, there needs to be discussed in the end yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so you might introduce other bias that yeah. you're just not not aware yeah. about yeah so so you you choose maybe some known bias but you might introduce some further unknown bias uh, and obviously the, you 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 cannot guess how big the bias in the end will will still be yeah yeah and and of course in the in the Bucher approach you you have you can have known and unknown bias both at the same time. Yeah, well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 true. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and back to the point. So which baseline characteristics to to include? So I think that the main point really is the limitation comes from the literature. So you you really only. Um, can adjust for what what you know from the literature. So this is the the basic point, but also um, um, the endpoints that you find in a publication they really need to be the same as compared to those that you investigated in your own trial. So and this is for example especially true maybe for safety endpoints. So you really make sure that they are based on the same definition. Uh, so even on the same time point. 
And uh, if this is a given, um, then I think you, you, you're happy to, to another this, this, um, in this approach. But this is really one further limitation that you really need to check that the definition of the endpoints is really similar. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really important. As we are talking about baseline variables, one other thing is sometimes you may have similar means in terms of, as we talked about, age or weight, but maybe you have some uh, different uh, standard deviations. Mm -hmm. Can you take that into account as well? Um, yes, you can in, in theory. So um, the whole matching um, approach is basically motivated by propensity score measuring. And uh, the specific method here in the uh, original publication is the method of moments. And as this name indicates, you can, in theory, adjust for all moments. So the first moment, obviously, is the mean. The second moment is the, uh, the variance or standard deviation and so on. So you can adjust for all this in, in theory. But this yeah, is then also related to, to further computational effort, obviously. Yeah, because okay. the, the basic case really is um, if you apply the make just for the first moments, then you really get one system of, of equations. And um, so from a mathematical point of view, you can prove that there is one single solution. So you get really one weight per patient so that there is a balance um, across all um, the mean baseline characteristics. Um, and you also can get then another system of equations for the second moments and so on. Uh, so in, in theory, this is this is this is um, this is a given, and um, probably it's 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 also to to recommend not only to to wait for the first moment but also for the second because what you see when you wait for the first moment, then you you have um, they are really then equal across the trials, but when you then look to the variances, this there might be some difference, which then might also in, impact the, the p-value in the end. Yeah, yeah, okay. So one thing that we specifically worked on in, in the last couple of years is um, cases where you have not just one study that you compare uh, and where you have individual, individual patient-level data with uh, one other study that is literature data, but also if you have on either side um, more than one study. So mm -hmm. maybe you have two or three uh, placebo-controlled uh, studies uh, for your compound and you have access to the patient-level data and then you have um, similar studies for the uh, competition that you want to look into, placebo-controlled yeah. studies. What kind of challenges do come with, with this kind of setup? So obviously we can, you know, first match and then pool, or we can first kind of pool the studies and then match. What is kind of the, the what's the uh, better approach and, and where are mm -hmm. the differences? Yeah, and so, so this is quite a realistic um, case that you do not only have one trial on each side, but, but several ones. So, um, and I think before you conduct uh, an analysis, I think you first need to check that really your trials are similar not only on one side, but across the sides. And this is really one basic requirement, not only of NMA or Bucher, but also of MAKE. And basically all requirements of Bucher also apply to MAKE um, immediately. So this is really similarity. So your trials need to be similar. So um, the best start obviously is if the in and ex 
exclusion criteria are really the same. Maybe even the countries are the same. Um, the centers probably not. But uh, this is maybe then you, you, what you can really check as well uh, in your baseline characteristics then. So this is really one thing that needs to be fulfilled and, and also um, homogeneity and and uh, transitivity, obviously. Um, but yeah, so then if you have several trials on one, I think the, the basic approach is really um, to do some meta-analysis. So this is um, you combine all your trials um, on each side and then end up with yeah one mean effect estimate so to yeah. say on your side where you have individual patient level data you maybe even have individual patient level data for all studies then you can apply meta-analysis for individual patient level data so which is the gold standard approach for meta-analysis and this is really to recommend and, and recommend in the literature so in this case you can really do do that um, and on the other side as well, you can apply classic pairwise meta-analysis and combine the, the single mean values to a mean of the means, so to say. And then you can start to apply um, the weighting approach of, of the make. Yeah. For, so then you need to basically um, compute average baseline uh, mm. variables across the different studies on, on both mm -hmm. sides. That average is then a weighted average, yeah? yeah. Weighted mm -hmm. with the sample sizes. Exactly. Yeah, so depending um, on the method of your meta-analysis, but if you apply the classic, uh, yeah, generic uh, inverse variance meta-analysis, then it's basically depending on the sample size of the study. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. But these weights are then not um, used anymore in the, in the make, so then you com compute another set of weights, but this then on a... Um, patient level yeah 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 there's a couple of uh, as we are talking about adjustments you, you mentioned earlier that in the um first publication of the makes the um method of moments was mm -hmm. used there's a couple of other ways you can adjust mm -hmm. for as well what are these yeah yeah that's true i think there's a bulk of methods and and to my knowledge, I think there's a lot of research still going on. So, um, so as I said, I think the initial approach was really to to apply the the methods of of moments per study. So this really means so so in in our case we have usually we have two treatments arm per study, and we take the mean value across the patients regardless of the treatment. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this is what we what we wait for. And this is the initial approach. Then I think there was some further research investigating, okay, maybe you can uh, not only take this mean values, but uh, the mean values per treatment arm, so that you actually have two means per study, and then you adjust the two means to the two other means, respectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think those um, those um methods have been investigated so far i think in some cases there might be a favor even for the um waiting per treatment arm uh, method so to say although you can obviously argue that you break randomization with this approach um uh, but still maybe from 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 a pure num numerical point of view just seem to to have some 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 favor in in some cases but yeah apart from this um method of moment i think there's the broader topic of entropy entropy balancing so which 
um, basically has some further requirement when you compute your weights. So this requirement is that your weights need to be as close to the uniform distribution as possible. Mm -hmm. So this is some side requirement. And with this, um, you obviously have some further equation in, in your model, which needs to, to get solved. But this is also applied. I think there was also some research on this. Um, maybe we can, um, Link, link, refer to, to this one. I think these are basically the, the, the two major principles um, at the moment. I think when we also look to the uh, NICE document that we have mentioned earlier in this episode, I think there's also the simulated treatment comparison approach, yeah, which um, yeah. might also have some advantages in, in, in some cases. And um, maybe just briefly speaking, um, if you take this approach, um, you, you start with your um, individual patient level data. Um, and in your study, you then run some models again to, to estimate which characteristics have a specific influence to your outcome. And with this coefficients, then you can um, compute this value for your um, aggregated data. So for the data that you get from the literature and with this, you then also get some estimate and you can compute an inner comparison. I think this is the third, not last one, but third important um, method which is available at the moment. And I think there's much more to come, not only with regard to make, uh, but also in the context of, of, of NMA. Yeah, in, in terms of the simulated treatment comparison, mm -hmm. I still wonder, it looks a little bit like you're simulating your evidence. Yes, so, so mm -hmm. there, with, yeah. with the Buche and the Mai kind of mm -hmm. the, your, the evidence of, that you get is given by the uh, sample sizes in your studies. And, mm -hmm. and that kind of gives you kind of an upper boundary of, of what you can get to. Mm -hmm. In terms of the simulated treatment comparisons, there's this, the sample size is pretty much taken that makes me a little bit mm -hmm. wary about that that, mm -hmm. that, that approach because mm -hmm. i i have the per perception you can just kind of simulate your your patients that you have mm -hmm. really studied yeah and, and so there i'm a little bit skeptical just from a kind of mm -hmm. maybe it's a philosophical question but um mm -hmm. i'm personally not feeling very very comfortable with that okay uh, yeah, interesting point. Yeah, I, I never thought about this, but yeah. yeah. Um, there's a couple of case studies already out there mm -hmm. as well that, that use uh, these different approaches, and uh, we'll link to one specific one from dermatology in the show notes as well, uh, so that you can see this is not just kind of theoretical work. It's it's also applied to, to real case studies. If you search for this matching adjusted indirect comparison, you'll probably find some more uh, case studies as well. So today we talked really a lot about uh, indirect comparison and had a deep dive into uh, the different approaches in terms of how to adjust for uh, treatment effect modifiers, so um, variables that are have an effect on the uh, treatment effect. And here are also different between the different uh, arms of this indirect comparisons. We refer to the nice technical document that also has this nice R code in it. Mm -hmm. And we also discussed about what to do if you have more than one study 
uh, in, in one of the different arms of the indirect comparisons. And so with that, thanks so much, Daniel, for this uh, really, really nice uh, discussion about the topic. Do you have any kind of final thought for the listener? Yeah. Again, thank you very much for, for this possibility. So some final thoughts. I think make is not the answer to every question. Uh, I think we talked about this. Uh, this is a lot of um, disadvantages, but only also a lot of advantages. So depending on the situation at hand, I think it really uh, uh, applies of the research question. So which method to apply? So either you apply Bucher or make or NMA. I think when you really want to get the, the full picture and the competitive landscape, then I think NMA still is the best way forward. But then if you want, maybe go in, to the data into more detail and have specific questions um, to maybe two or three comparators of interest, then I think really this method can can provide further knowledge. But but yeah, I think, as I said, um, this is not the end. Uh, there will be a couple of more methods for this kind of of networks uh, or situations. And I think we can stay tuned uh, in this field. And um, and I'm looking forward for, for new topics and methods in, in this. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Go over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes with all the different references that we mentioned in the podcast today so that you can implement these methods as well and uh, have all the corresponding documents there. You can there also find much more content that helps you to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. Finally, please tell your colleagues about this podcast and join the LinkedIn group. And as always, reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.